and we're back. Welcome to In Case You Forgot the Ownership Economy. What's going on in this world is absolutely insanity, but it's real. And I want to preface this podcast and YouTube video and call an episode with a very important message. Please do not freak out. Do not put yourself or let yourself get into a state of fear. That is the purpose of what they, quote unquote, are trying to do to us. And I'll get into that. And as you know, we talked about monkeypox about a month ago. You could check out that episode. But you're going to hear a lot about monkeypox. And this is not what this particular episode is about. But I do want to inform you of a couple things. The former uh, FDA commissioner and now board member of Pfizer. Yes, you heard that right. Former FDA commissioner and now board member of Pfizer. No conflict of interest. Went on Face the Nation today, Sunday, July 17th. And said that the window has closed to stop monkeypox as a pandemic. It's closed. And that more, more than 1,800 cases and that they're ordering vaccines like crazy. So just do not freak out when you start hearing a bunch of stuff about monkeypox. The purpose is to put you in fear so you make irrational decisions. Please, don't be surprised when you hear it, but do not be scared. It's fine. I'm just letting you know. Also, what's going on, and this is what this episode was supposed to be today, but it's going to be tomorrow. What's going on in China? You might not know this, but they are on the brink of the largest housing market collapse in the history of the world. What happened in 2008? This will be three to 10 times the size. They have 90 million empty homes and they have 80, they have protests going on in over 80 cities. But what's going on is the media is censoring it, just like they're censoring everything with the Netherlands. They're censoring things because they're trying to protect you. I'm being sarcastic. They're not trying to protect you. They're censoring it because they want everything to fold in and cave all at once, which brings me to a story and a topic you've probably heard about and probably have been personally touched by, like I have. And that is the real pandemic. And this is a direct shot at COVID intentionally. And that is fentanyl, the drug epidemic. That is the real pandemic that's going on. And we're going to get into the data behind this. And I bet that everybody listening to this or watching this has experienced someone close to them, someone they know that either has suffered from drug addiction that has potentially died from an overdose, has been hospitalized. And I bet you not everyone has known someone directly who has been, who has died from COVID or even been hospitalized. Not everybody. I'm, I know a lot of people have, and my heart goes out to all of you. But I know that all of you have been personally affected by drug overdoses. And now we are being attacked from within. You probably heard the story 
of a woman in Kentucky or in Tennessee, I believe, who picked up a dollar bill that was laced with fentanyl, allegedly. And I'm going to play the video where you can hear her story and take it for, you know, interpret it however you want. But the reason this is being covered and why I'm talking about this today is we came across, as you know, on this podcast, our favorite words, conspiracy, debunked, fact check. Those are the words surrounding this story. And when we see debunked, fact check, and conspiracy, you know what I do. I go on the World Wide Web and I find out the truth and then I deliver it to you. And then I say, hey, you go find out the truth. I'm just trying to make it in an easy, digestible, condensed way. And then you can go analyze yourself because whenever it appears that something is debunked or fact-checked or a conspiracy, as we have learned together on this journey that the previous like 20 episodes that we've done, they all seem to be true, unfortunately. So let's get into this. They say there was articles from all the mainstream media saying that this story is not true, that the doctors tested her for fentanyl and it wasn't she didn't have it in her system. And then they checked the dollar bill and there was no fentanyl on it. And so this woman and her husband went on the mainstream news, on Fox News, and told her story. Listen to uh, what she has to say. And as always, make your own determinations. So here we go. Kentucky mother is rushed to the hospital while traveling in Tennessee after picking up a dollar bill that she now suspects was laced with fentanyl. This comes just weeks after police in a nearby Tennessee county warned against picking up bills over that very same concern. That mother, Renee Parsons, and her husband, Justin Parsons, both join me now. Good morning to you. I'm so glad to see you both safe. Renee, what happened? Good morning. Thank you. As you mentioned, we were traveling and we made a stop at the McDonald's. We went into the McDonald's as I was waiting for my husband to use the bathroom so he could hold our three-month-old. I found a dollar. I picked the dollar up and I held on to the dollar. In fact, I contemplated giving the dollar to a little girl in the store and as I was contemplating that, my husband came out of the bathroom and I handed him the baby and then I put the dollar into and then I went into the bathroom, used the bathroom, washed my hands. I grabbed the dollar back out of my pocket, held on to it, went out to where my husband was with the baby and our oldest son. And, you know, we were just talking, waiting for their food. And then we went outside to the car upon entering the vehicle. I placed the dollar in the door and we got into the car. We were sitting there for a minute. I started wiping my hands off with a baby wipe, just thinking about what my husband had told me in the past. And just to be careful picking up things, 
and as he started to mention and I said to him, you know, hey, look, it's my lucky day. I found another dollar. And he, honey, why would you do that? Don't pick anything up. And I was like, oh, it's fine. No big deal. And then we started pulling out of the parking lot, got onto the street. And right as we did that, I felt this feeling overcome my body that it really started at my shoulders and started going down. And it really became not necessarily hard to breathe because I was gasping for air, but hard to breathe because it was almost taking over my body as in relaxing me so much. I didn't necessarily care to breathe. Wow. And Justin, so your wife is fine one minute, then she's incapacitated the next. What are you experiencing and seeing and how are you feeling at this time? Well, it started out as I told our oldest son to dial 911, which he did. And they're asking for the address, which we didn't know. And at the same time, I'm looking up and just put a hospital in my iPhone and started driving towards the nearest hospital. She is um, slurred speech and she just kind of laid back on the seat and her um, head was kind of going back and forth with the turns of the vehicle and uh, it was very scary to say oh the least. Especially yeah. To say the least and I understand that Renee, you touched Justin and he, his, your lips also went numb, Justin, and you got a rash on your arm as well. But Renee, one thing I did want to ask you about is that uh, Nashville police responded to this and uh, they said that they don't think that you uh, were poisoned with fentanyl because they tested the bill. They tested um, if there was any fentanyl in your system and they said they didn't find anything. What's your response to that? Um if that is if that's the case because the last that we heard one the dollar bill was never tested and that came straight from the police officer himself but also um, my hospital records also show that i was not tested for fentanyl they did a six or ten panel drug screen which came back negative as the doctor came into the hospital room he said i'm sorry we can't test for synthetic opioids which is what fentanyl and carfentanyl Wow. Wow. That's very interesting. Uh, like I said, we're so glad that you're okay. It, it sounds like this could have ended in a much different way. Wow. 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 So debunked this woman definitely is lying and has, she is a conspiracy theorist and she has an agenda. Okay. This woman is trying to game the system. Can't you tell? We debunked that. She said that the cops told her to her face that they didn't test the dollar bill and the doctor said they couldn't screen for synthetic opioids. She's a liar. Do you see the common theme here? Do you see what's going on here? Are we catching on to what's going on? We are being lied to from all angles in the mainstream media. And now it's officially and has been, but is getting really dangerous. Why? Because this happened yesterday in Los Angeles. They seized 1 million fentanyl pills, the largest in history. One. Yeah, you heard that one. And I'm going to share the CBS video right now. One 
million fentanyl pills. I said one million fentanyl pills. Why don't you just watch or take a listen to this yourself and make your own determination on what's going on here? It's the largest seizure of fentanyl pills ever made in California. One million pills containing the deadly substance found in Inglewood in what the DEA says was a stash house guarded by managers responsible for distributing them to local dealers. The estimated street value as much as $20 million. It seems like a, a very substantial, uh, massive supply of fentanyl. So I, I can't help but think... Uh, Keeping those off the streets is going to keep a lot of people alive. Authorities say the pills could be linked to the Sinaloa cartel, believed to be led by Ismael El Mayo Zambada, currently on the FBI's most wanted list. Fentanyl becoming a lucrative synthetic opioid for illegal drug organizations making the pills outside the country. The key to manufacture is getting your hands on, on the synthetic uh, precursors from which it is very easy to make the product. And in the United States, we've got a pretty extensive program of monitoring the production and distribution of, of key synthetic intermediates. The DEA says the drugs are brought in in bulk across the border into Southern California, taking advantage of the airports, freeways, bus and train lines to distribute them to other states and local dealers. In the first four months of 2022, Drug enforcement agents in the L.A. area recorded a 62% increase in drug seizures compared to the same time period last year. The CDC estimates more than 107,000 people have died as a result of drug overdose poisoning in the U.S., the majority of them opioid-related. Doctor, what is your warning to anyone that is taking these pills? I guess I would simply say uh, don't lose sight of the fact that these drugs can kill you. And fentanyl kills you a little bit more rapidly, or in some cases quite a bit more rapidly, than the other opiates. With a lot of uh, morphine and those kinds of drugs. With the DEA indicating at the end of last year, drug overdose deaths reached a new height, claiming a new victim every five minutes. Every five minutes. A new high. Every five minutes. There's two parts to this story. There's two things going on here that are really important to understand. The first is, is that these pills look just like the opiate pills you get from the pharmacy, which ultimately come from Big Pharma. Maybe that's a conspiracy. I don't know. Perhaps it's from the same companies that are, who knows? Profiting off vaccines, but hey, that's not here nor there. But these pills look the exact same. So a lot of people are buying something that they think is something else. It looks like an oxycon. It looks like um, it looks like the exact same pill. These pills are manufactured in China, sent to Mexico, and then easily brought across the border. And as you know. I am apolitical. We look at politics from an apolitical point of view. We don't side with Republicans and we don't side with Democrats and we don't side with independents. We side with apolitical people. 
the two parts of this is they're intentionally having it come in from China because the real raw truth is, and this is just my opinion, that our government is officially and has been compromised. But we're not getting into that. What we're getting into is every single empire in history crumbled from within. And we always worry about outside attacks or other countries. Well, the way that an empire crumbles is from within. And if they caught and they seized one million fentanyl pills, how many pills are out there that they have not seized? For example, when they say, let's just give a number, 100,000 people crossed the border illegally that they caught, let's say. That's usually a single digit percentage, a single digit percentage from the entire number because you only can catch a very tiny fraction. So if you caught a million and seized a million, that number is so massive. It is so massive. It's hard for me to even, I can't even like picture that in my head. One million pills laced with fentanyl and they are disguised as actual pills from the pharmacy that people are buying off the streets because they are addicted to opiates. And many of them, this is the second part. Many of them are addicted because it was a prescription at one point because of a surgery or because of whatever the case may be. It came from an actual company that was a big pharmaceutical manufacturer. And then it usually transfers to someone going to the streets to get it once money runs low or they lose their script, whatever the case may be. Sure, some people do go directly to the street and go on heroin or you know buy the pills. That's true. But the reason why it's a pandemic, the reason why this is the real pandemic is because people are getting hooked from the drugs that are coming from the pharmacies. And as we talked on the last podcast, people like Bill Gates investing in a company that is a pharmaceutical network with a mission statement that says, we want to make the pharmacy the center of global health. In what world do we want to make a pharmacy the center of global health? How about we start with nutrition? How about we start with running? How about we start with breathing exercises? Are you serious? We're going to make pharmacy the center of global health? What kind of mission statement is that? It sounds like it's in favor of big pharma. Allegedly. Allegedly. But I want to get into the statistics and the reason why I'm specifically using the word pandemic. Because the numbers of overdoses and deaths have spun out of control since COVID came into our lives. In fact, we were declining in the years prior to 2019, a little bit. And then in 2020, 
the deaths went from around 70,000 to over 100,000. And most of those are young people. And that's 25,000. How many young people died from COVID? Not with COVID, from COVID. Are more people being negatively affected by fentanyl or COVID? Let's be honest. I might get some scrutiny for this. But to be honest, this pisses me off. Because this is a problem. Don't believe me? Why don't we do something as we always do on this show? Let's get into the facts. The facts. Okay? What are the facts? Well, if you're watching, I'm going to share my screen as I go through this. Because of how crazy it is. CBS, they have really endless resources. Big Pharma spending $263 million to keep drug prices high, while the administration in the U.S. is telling you they're trying to make drugs cheaper. We are being told the opposite of what's actually happening in this world. And it's not funny anymore. It's a problem. They have three pharma lobbyists, three for every one politician. This is crazy. This is crazy. The pharmaceutical industry has spent nearly $263 million on lobbying so far this year, and this is 2021, employing three lobbyists for every member of Congress, according to Open Secrets, which tracks money in politics. Millions of those dollars are in the form of campaign donations. Quote, they have really endless resources to throw at shaping the outcomes of legislation says Sheila Krumholz, the executive director of Open Secrets. Congressman Scott Peters, a Democrat, sparked protests outside his San Diego district office when he came out against a plan to cut drug costs for seniors earlier this year. He's received nearly $130,000 from the industry this year. About 100000 has been donated to Democratic Senator uh, Kirsten Sinema this year, Senator Robert Mendez, sorry about the pronunciation, also a Democrat, has taken nearly $80,000 in 2021. Quote, bottom line is, I'm supporting a price negotiation bill that has been worked out. What I've said since the very beginning of the discussion, how do we ensure that consumers at the counter get relief? Menendez said when asked what message he's sending by taking money from the pharmaceutical industry. All three Democrats have praised the compromise on drug prices, saying it will save Medicare billions of dollars while closing loopholes. Progressive Democrats have praised the deal, but say it shows Big Pharma's influence on legislative process. One of the examples is Marilyn Rose. And this is a really good example. She has chronic myeloid leukemia, which can be a death sentence without her daily medication. And it costs $10,000 per month. She said, quote, 
I say it's my stay alive pill. It's a miracle that this drug exists, but the idea that I'm beholden to it is really a little scary. And we are supposed to sit here and listen to this propaganda, which specifically on cable news, we are one of two countries in the whole world that allows big pharma to market directly to the consumers. One of two countries. The other one's New Zealand. And then it's us, the United States of America. Of all commercials, over 75% are from big pharma. That is an astoundingly high number. These are the same channels that give you the news. These are the same channels that are telling you what to do and what not to do from a medical standpoint with COVID-19, with every other disease. And to have the audacity to think that these people that are economically supported by big pharma are not influenced at all is the most silly thing ever. This is corruption at the highest level. And I don't think it's okay to just sit back and be complicit, at least not for me. I respect whatever you want to do. But the numbers don't lie. And as we are on the brink, as we predicted on this show, of the monkeypox pandemic, quote-unquote, which Bill Gates, as you heard in the last episode, go back and listen or watch it if you haven't, where he says he always compares COVID to smallpox. At least it's not a smallpox breakout, a smallpox breakout. And now monkeypox, which is basically a cousin of smallpox. And then they're going to tell you to go take a vaccine or a drug or whatever it might be. They're going to tell you how to behave with the monkeypox breakout. And we're just supposed to not ask questions or be curious of different answers. And to literally just have that information shoved down our throats when there is a blind eye being turned to all the overdoses and the absurd amount of drugs entering the country. This is happening all across the world, but I'm speaking to the United States because I live here. The drug overdoses and the, and, and the deaths have been out of control for a decade, for over a decade. Purdue Pharma has settled, has paid hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements from Oxycontin. And these are the people. In fact, let me share the commercial with you. This, I'm about to show you the commercial that came out in the late 90s for Oxycontin. Just listen, you know what, just watch and listen to how they describe its safety and effectiveness. Safe and effectiveness. You ever heard those words before? No? This is their commercial. Purdue Pharma. This is real. This is real. If you're listening, then, then just take a listen.
There's no question that our best, strongest pain medicines are the opioids, but these are the same drugs that have a reputation for causing addiction and other terrible things. Now, in fact, the rate of addiction amongst pain patients who are treated by doctors is much less than 1%. They don't wear out, they go on working, they do not have serious medical side effects. And so these drugs, which I repeat, are our best, strongest pain medications, should be used much more than they are for patients in pain. Should be used. You ever heard the word should? These drugs should be used. You should go get the vaccine. You should do what we say. You should shut up and not ask questions. You should, you should, you should. This is the same industry, people. Time and time again, they have lied. They have the largest settlement cases in all of business in any industry with billions of dollars paid in settlements. And having people be settled with non-disclosure so they can't talk. In in one of the Oxycontin commercials back in the 90s when it first came out. If you haven't seen Dope Sick on Hulu or done your research. They had people talk about how this, that they were saved by this pill. But they never mentioned Oxycontin in the video. And how they got back on their feet and they're feeling better and their whole life's back. And when they started investigating Purdue and looked into this and be like, why didn't they mention the word Oxycontin? Well, when they researched the people that actually were being spokespeople on the commercial, two of them have died and the other ones were out of their minds addicted to the drug they were saying was has a less than 1% chance of addiction. In fact, Oxycon is the first pill that the FDA put a special label on the bottle for it, saying this is an opiate, but it's not addictive. The first one that's not addictive. How'd that work out? Let's get into some of the real, let's get into some of the numbers. So report doctors paid to peddle addictive opiates. A new report sheds light on their involvement, suggesting physicians have received millions of dollars in gifts and payments from opiate manufacturers in order to promote sales of their addictive drugs. Getting paid to push drugs legally. Big Pharma paid doctors between August 2013 and December 2015, finding nearly 400,000 opioid-related payments were made to more than 68,000 doctors, totaling more than 46 million. And this is only up until 2015. Speaking fees, consulting fees, travel and meals, food and beverages. In fact, there's a report and a study 
And the objective of the study was to identify payments that involved opioid products from the pharmaceutical industry to physicians. They used the Open Payments Program database from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to identify payments involving an opioid to physicians between August 2013 and December 2015. We use medians. They use a whole bunch of formulas. And here's the results that they found during the study. Over 375,000 non-research opioid-related payments were made to 68,177 physicians, totaling over $46 million. The top 1% of physicians received 82.5% of total payments in dollars. The conclusion of this study was 1 in 12 U.S. physicians received a payment involving an opioid during the 29-month study. And then they suggest that these findings should prompt an examination of industry influences on opioid prescribing. One in 12. One in 12 doctors. Is it possible that these are the same doctors that are also experts? The biggest thing that I worry about is whenever I see an article that say, experts say, or like I said before, or this has been debunked, or this is fact-checked, or this is conspiracy. Because it always turns out, almost every single time, as we've been exposing on this podcast for over a month now, to be true. Major, major medical decisions in a pandemic are made based off what people are told from so-called experts. And these experts seem to have a, a conflict of interest with the very companies that are giving you the cure. In fact, a lot of these big pharma companies are getting into the opioid, opiate treatment business. You get addicted and then they have the cure. They always have the cure. According to the CDC, in fact, to show you how big this is, since the pandemic, since the COVID pandemic, for what's going on here, there's a map of the United States. It says percent change in predicted 12-month ending count of drug overdose deaths by jurisdiction, February 2021 to February 2022. And you can rest your cursor over any state. And when I do that, it gives you the percent change year over year from 2021 to 2022. Utah's up 5.3%. Wyoming's up 11.11%. Idaho's up 30%. Oregon's up. 28.69%. Washington's up 28.35%. California is up 15.82%. Alabama's up 26.36%. Texas is up 15.72%. Florida's up 6.21%. Maine is up 22.07%. Alaska's up 69.08%. Indiana's up 20.30%. You can just pick any state. New Mexico's up 25.21%. Arizona, doing very well. Only up 
2.59%. Almost every single state is up. Ridiculous numbers. Minnesota, 19.14%. This is the pandemic. Tennessee, 16.04%. And then just yesterday, 1 million pills are seized. How many are still on the streets and how many are actually coming straight from the pharmacy? I have a problem when stuff happens to kids. I have a problem when people mess with kids because they don't know better all the time. They're not supposed to. But as adults, you do know better. And you should never hurt kids anywhere. Fentanyl is not only being allowed into this country, it's being manufactured in this country. And we know that the government has a history of dealing drugs within the country from Vietnam. Do your own research. Not only that, Do you remember the Super Bowl commercial for opiate-induced constipation? They also come up with the solution for that? Here, let me play it for you. If you need an opioid to manage your chronic pain... You may be so constipated. It feels like everyone can go, except you. Tried many things, still struggling to find relief? You may have opioid-induced constipation, OIC. It's different and may need a different approach. Opioids block pain signals, but can also block activity in the bowel, which is why it can feel like your opioid pain med is slowing your insides to a crawl. Longing for a change? Have the conversation with your doctor about OIC and ask about prescription treatment options. Made on behalf of those living with chronic pain. AstraZeneca is one of those sponsors. Did you ever hear them? Did we talk about them in the Bill Gates episode? Are they tied to profiteering off other stuff? They try to normalize this stuff. A lot of what's going on in our culture is the normalization of outlandish stuff. It's an intentional play by the global elite to have us be confused and argue with one another because we don't have the fundamental rules that everybody agrees on in society of what is what. If everything is so fluid and dynamic and be interpreted however you want, it causes mass confusion. It is changing the language on purpose. And to normalize opioid-induced constipation, that commercial, by the way, we know, okay, so big pharma's doing, they're good Samaritans. They're trying to help everybody. It's not about profits, right? It's going towards education and helping people, right? That's an $11 million commercial that was in the 2016 Super Bowl to sell another drug 
because you're constipated from the other drug that they prescribed you. They got a ton of backlash. I don't know why. The truth is, they want us to be comatose, comatose and in a dazed state and just doing nothing, being distracted. Everything's a distraction from what's really going on. To go from a steady level of around 50,000 deaths per year, then you know, increasing to even 75, but then going to over 100 and higher and higher since the, since the COVID pandemic, it's almost doubled since before the pandemic. It's going to be at 150,000. I don't know. I don't know how we can stand by and be okay with this. They have three lobbyists for every politician in Congress. And now they have an extra $50 billion coming in from the COVID vaccines. And now monkeypox is going to break out and be a pandemic because the WHO is meeting as we speak, the pandemic team which was formed and created by Bill Gates. Are deciding if it's big enough to say it's a pandemic. In what world did we have pandemics all the time? That is a normalization of a ridiculous, ridiculous outlandish thing that is not normal. And it's not okay just to accept that. You're telling me we have no pandemics and then all of a sudden we have two pandemics and even Bill Gates himself talks about how the only thing we've eradicated is smallpox and now it's back and now it's back. This is all the same industry. I don't know what's conspiratorial about this. In The Guardian, they say opioid overdoses, opi op opiate overdose, overdose deaths to grow exponentially without action. More than 1.2 million additional people across North America are expected to die of opioid overdoses by 2029 if dramatic interventions are not taken to prevent it, according to a new study published by The Lancet. Overdose deaths from all drugs, including opioids, have increased dramatically in the U.S. and Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic. As we show in the report, Australia has a 15-fold increase in opioid prescribing. England has doubled. Finland has gone up by a factor of seven and Brazil by 465%. Provisional data released from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, showed that during the 12-month period ending April 2021, more than 100,000 people died in the United States of drug overdoses, including more than 75,000 people whose deaths involved opioids. It's risen sharply. Deaths involving fentanyl risen sharply since 2015. And at the same time, we have a squeeze on energy. 
which is intentional. That's going to get us to have rolling blackouts to not, you know, being have not being able to have warm houses, not being able to have anything because energy is the lifeblood of society. And now there's going to be famines, which was another podcast we did. This is all happening at once to create a destabilization of civilization. I know how crazy that sounds. I'm very aware. I am very aware how crazy that sounds. But please do the research yourself. Please audit and verify everything I'm saying. Go to the show notes of this episode and look at all the sources I'm talking about. You have double-digit percentages in every state with fentanyl-related deaths. And then just yesterday, a million fentanyl pills that look just like oxycodone pills that you would get on the streets and are killing kids. It's an attack. I mean, this is a... This is a real pandemic and we're overlooking it because we're being swayed to look at COVID and now it's going to be monkeypox. And all you're going to do is hear the word vaccines all the time. Or if someone dies of an overdose from a opiate pill that's debunked or fake. Why is that? And a lot of people, by the way, a lot of kids are getting these off of social media. That's interesting, right? They're getting off the very platforms that say they censor things to protect you. But yet when it comes to opiates or products of big pharma that they know are being sold illegally on social media, for some reason, there's no stop made to that. Are you seeing a trend or am I putting things together that are not related at all? This is real. This is very, very real. And when I say it comes from prescriptions, why don't I just read you this from the World Population Review about opioid epidemic by state 2022. The National Institution on Drug Abuse has released data for the opioid prescription rates and opioid overdose death rates from 2017. Based on this information, the state of Tennessee had the highest opioid prescription rate of 94.4 for every 100 persons. Oklahoma's prescription rate was the second highest in the nation, 88.1 per every 100 persons. And Kentucky also had a high prescription rate at 86.8 per 100. Wait, 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 wait. Tennessee's is 94.4 per 100? Almost everybody in Tennessee has a prescription to opiates? And to think that there's no profiteering going on with big pharma, but yet almost every single person in Tennessee, I imagine some are kids. I remember, I imagine some are babies. 94.4 for every 100 persons. How far does this have to go? 
When it comes to overdoses caused by opioids, the highest rates of death were in West Virginia, where 49.6 out of every 100,000 persons died from an opioid-involved overdose death. Coming to second was Ohio, with an opioid overdose of 39.2, and the third highest occurred in Washington, D.C., where the rate was 34.7. Isn't that interesting? Washington, D.C.? Huh. That's odd. Isn't that where they make decisions for what's best for us? Hmm. Interesting. Maybe it's just a gift for a campaign. You know, maybe that woman's dollar bill was laced with happiness powder. And she got so happy it was her lucky day that she just passed out and went to the hospital. That damn happiness powder. Hate when it gets on your hands and you just can't stop it. You just pass out. We're ignoring and we're being pushed to ignore the realities of what's breaking down in this world. And it's all happening at once. And I totally understand how it feels overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed. I could throw up reading all this stuff. But to blindly take advice from people that are associated and have a conflict of interest with the very people that make profits off the things they are recommending is a very scary thing and a very serious thing. And then when you hear that we eradicated smallpox and all of a sudden it's back and it's being discussed if it's going to be a pandemic, which we know it's going to be, that literally the former FDA commissioner who is on the board of Pfizer, he's on the board of Pfizer. Now he's on the board of Pfizer. How is that even okay? I can't even believe I'm saying that. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to play that. I wasn't going to do this, but I actually think it's really important for you to hear this or watch this. Again, this is Face the Nation. This is Dr. Gottlieb, who was FDA commissioner, now board member of Pfizer, <laughs> says the U.S. has failed to contain monkeypox. Hmm. Let me know what you think. Viking are now demanding more vaccines from the Biden administration. Joining us to discuss this is former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who's also a board member at Pfizer. Good to have you here. Good to see you. Uh, give us a sense of the scale of this, because the CDC numbers are out. They say there are only eight women within that, no children. You're saying this is a pandemic. That's not a word the administration's using yet. What level of emergency are we at? Yeah, look, and I think they're going to be reluctant to use the word pandemic because it implies that they've failed to contain this. And I think at this point we failed to contain this. We're now at the cusp of this becoming an endemic virus where this now becomes something that's persistent that we need to continue to deal with. I think the window for getting control of this and containing it um, probably has closed. And if it hasn't closed, it's certainly starting to close. 11,000 cases across the world right now, 1,800 cases, as you said, in the U.S. We're probably detecting just a fraction of the actual cases because we have a very, we had for a long time a very narrow case definition on who got tested. And by and large, we're looking in the community of men who have sex with men uh, and at STD clinics. So we're looking there, we're finding cases there, but it's a fact that there's cases outside that community right now. We're not picking them up because we're not looking there. This has spread more broadly in the community. I wouldn't be surprised if there's thousands of cases right now. It, it's a little chilling to hear you say containment has failed. I've heard you say that before with COVID. 
Well, look, this isn't going to explode like COVID. This is a slower moving virus, which is why we could have gotten control of this if we had been more aggressive up front. We made a lot of the same mistakes that we made with COVID with this, having a very narrow case definition, not having enough testing early enough, not deploying vaccine in aggressive fashion to ring vaccinate. But now this is firmly embedded in the community. And while it's not going to explode because it's harder for this virus to spread, it's probably going to be persistent. You'll, you'll have this as a sort of a fact of life, maybe spreading as a sexually transmitted disease, but also breaking out of those settings. So the CDC said monkeypox can show up up to three weeks post-exposure. What are the basic symptoms? If you have a rash, do you call your dermatologist? Who do you call? Well, it's a vesicular rash. It's associated with fever and achiness. You know, the historically you used to get a disseminated rash. What we're seeing right now is people aren't presenting with a widely diffuse rash, but sometimes just a small number of vesicles. So I think it's being confused with other vesicular rashes. Herpes, Coxsackie can cause a vesicular rash, certainly chickenpox. Right now, anyone who presents with a vesicular rash that can't be explained by another etiology. So a rash that causes vesicles should be tested for monkeypox, whether they come from a high-risk community or not. That's the way we're gonna snuff this out. Um, we didn't have enough testing to do that. Now CDC has gotten in place more testing. There's probably adequate testing to broaden it to be able to accomplish that. So we should be doing that. Physicians should be sending off these tests. The problem with testing, also it seems that distribution or access to a vaccine is an issue. The mayor of New York, the governor of New York, asking the Biden administration to do more to get them access. Why is this a problem? Well, we didn't have adequate stockpiles of the vaccine, the one vaccine that's approved for monkeypox. Um, we only had 2,000 doses in the national strategic stockpile. It was there as a hedge against smallpox. We took our eye off that ball, so we didn't replenish that supply. They ordered about 300,000 doses that have been delivered. 150,000 have been distributed. Another 130,000 will go out this week. Some there's of that be, overseas. Um, some of it's, well, there's 800,000 doses that were overseas um, that the manufacturer Bavarian Nordic had overseas. Those are being brought into the U.S. right now. FDA has to do what's called lot release. They have to inspect those doses to make sure they were appropriately manufactured. They're doing that inspection at the same time that they're forward deploying those 800,000 doses. So those are going to cities right now. And as soon as FDA finishes that, which should be this week, those doses will be turned on. They'll be able to be distributed or be used on patients. So I think the vaccine situation is going to improve mm -hmm. dramatically this week. You're going to see literally hundreds of thousands of doses become available. The White House has intervened to take more control of the response away from CDC. This can't be our response every time that when yeah. CDC drops the ball, the White House and the political leadership need to step in. That's what's happened here. It happened in COVID. We need to fundamentally reform how we respond to these, these crises. You wrote a book on that. Um, I want to ask you about COVID. The CDC says now about 54% of Americans live in an area of high COVID community spread. That's up from 31% the prior week. That seems fast moving. What is different about these variants now? Well, look, it's the B5 variant that's growing. It has the capacity to evade the immunity that we've acquired from vaccination and also from prior infection. It does seem to be that B2 infection confers more robust immunity against this B5 variant. So places that had big outbreaks of B2, like the Northeast, probably going to be more protected. There's 100,000, over 100,000 cases on average being reported on a daily basis. We're probably detecting one in 10 infections right now, so it's probably more like a million. I think most Americans have started to accept this as part of the fabric of daily living. In part, that's, a, that's based on a wholesale recalibration of risk. In part, it's based on the fact that there's very few people who are immune naive, so people feel rightly more impervious to a bad outcome. So we have to recognize that this spread is happening against the backdrop basically of normal living. 
But the White House is saying put a mask on if you go into indoor gatherings. Uh, the city of Los Angeles says they might institute this at the end of the month. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see mandates. I don't think that there's a lot of tolerance for mandates, maybe in select cities but like Los Angeles. Advisable? I think if you're going into a congregate setting with a lot of people you don't know, um, wearing a mask is prudent if you're in a high prevalence area, especially if you're someone who, who's at risk. Um, you know, I still wear a mask in certain settings. I wear it when I go through the airport. Um, if I catch COVID, I want it to be from a family member or a friend, not some stranger I'm sitting next to on a plane. So I try to be prudent when I'm in mixed company. I think right now, if you live in a high prevalence region, it's advisable, especially if you're someone who's vulnerable, if it's easy enough. Mm -hmm. And a booster shot. Will we have a rebooted bivalent vaccine in the fall? Yeah, well, look, there's going to be a vaccine based on B4 that the manufacturers are developing right now. There is a bivalent vaccine based on B1 on the shelf right now that we could be deploying. We're not. That probably would be more protective against this B4 variant and B5 variant. We, they've made a decision so far not to deploy that, but to wait for the B4 variant vaccine mm -hmm. that's going to be available this fall. Right now, if you're above the age of 50 and you haven't had a dose of vaccine this year, you probably should get one. And the sequencing is good. Get a dose now if you're someone who's at Did you hear that word again? Should? Should, should, should. Should. It's always should. And guess what? It just so happens to evade everything that you already have. So you though so you have to go and purchase another one or have our tax dollars pay for it. We need to wake up and come together as a society. I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. I'm gonna say allegedly. Your government's trying to kill you, allegedly. Allegedly, your government doesn't care about you. Allegedly, they might vaccinate you to death, allegedly. People, I have no agenda here. He is a former FDA commissioner, now on the board of Pfizer. Do you think that maybe he has the agenda, perhaps? Who has the agenda? That news network that gets paid by his very company to air 75% of the commercials? Where's the corruption? Is it on, in case you forgot, the Ownership Economy podcast where we have no sponsor? Or on the news network that has 75% of their money coming from one industry? And no, it's not the organic food industry. No, it's not from the farmers. Those people are all right, evil. It's from the angels of, from heaven. Pfizer and Moderna and all them. The godsend. The people who were always there for you whenever you had a bad day. Whenever you weren't feeling well, who do you think always had the cure for you? It's amazing. It's amazing. That from horrible catastrophes and pandemics, there are seriously huge corporations and people who are in those corporations that are okay with leveraging a pandemic to increase the amount of money they have in their wallets, allegedly. Big Pharma makes money off of pandemics, allegedly. They now have a new $50 billion market because of COVID, allegedly. They want another $50 billion market with monkeypox, allegedly.
They told you that Oxycontin wasn't addictive, allegedly. Do you ever hear somebody that's associated with the FDA or Pfizer or any of them come on the news and talk about nutrition and exercise? Of course not, because that doesn't make money, allegedly. This could be a crime, allegedly. And we have at the same time the economy collapsing, the largest housing market, which you don't even know about the protests going on in China in the 80 plus cities because it's being censored, which is three to 10 times worse than what happened in 2008. It's all happening at once and it's all happening on purpose, allegedly. I should just call this the alleged podcast. I'm not going to stand by and be complicit. And if you're not awakened yet, quote unquote, I do this to simply implore you to do your own research. That's all I'm doing here. I'm not this, I can't see the future. I'm not like Nostradamus over here. However, they're Nostradamus. They always predict pandemics like it's like predicting who's going to win the football game. Really? Since when is predicting pandemics normal? When something so extreme is happening and trying to be normalized, it's a breakdown of civilization. That's not a joke. It sounds really crazy for me to say. I'm totally aware of this. But this is real. This is real life, and we need to realize this. Because when they try and lock you down, which, by the way, has proven to cause more deaths from overdoses than ever before because we are now at an all-time high. You heard in the first video, someone dies in the United States from an overdose every five minutes. And I guarantee you've been affected by drugs, whether it's you personally or a loved one, from an overdose, a death, an addiction. And it's all coming from the same source. I just think questions should be asked. And these are going to be weird times. And when they try and force us to do stuff like lock down and be inside, we really, we really have to come together. Because otherwise it will be too late. And that sounds like I'm trying to fear monger and all that stuff, but that is not the goal of this podcast. That is the opposite of this goal. Because when you are in a state of fear, you make irrational decisions. And that is the purpose of putting you into fear intentionally, if that's the case, allegedly. So if there's ever been a time where you should be pro-human, or help your fellow citizens, or come together for small businesses and petition against forced lockdowns, which are going to come in a couple months. They are going to come. And this is the last time that we can either be complicit or we can fight back. I'm fighting back. You can join me or not join me, but I am not going to live under tyranny.
And that's, and I'm not even a Republican. I'm apolitical. But the whole point of that Second Amendment I've learned is when the government decides not to follow the first one. That's the reality. We never thought this could happen in our lifetime, but it is happening. And we have to come together. And we have to do our own research and get to the truth and not be behind a gold pocket watch swaying left and right and left and right. And then us just nodding. Yes, I will. Okay. Go to sleep. Okay. Go in the metaverse. Stay there. So fentanyl is the real pandemic. And I don't want to take our eye off the ball too much. But please don't become fearful and get all crazy when you hear that monkeypox is a pandemic. That's all I'm asking. We need to act rationally and come together. And we need to focus on what's affecting us the most. And part of that is the fentanyl. And that stems from the corruption within the government. And that stems from the people at the World Economic Forum infiltrating it. And that's who we need to all focus on. Not each other, but the elites. It's all a distraction from what's really going on. So tomorrow or later, we're going to get into the segment on China and the housing crisis and collapse and <laughs> that you don't know about that's about to ripple through the world in a big, big way. It's 2008 on steroids. There are protests everywhere in China being censored. 90 million people stop paying their mortgages. Evergrande, one of their biggest development companies, is on the brink of bankruptcy. This is real, and it's real bad. It's an economic pandemic. And we're going to get real deep into that next because that is going to shake the world financially. Fentanyl shakes the world with killing people, but so does financial pandemics. And that is going to come from China very soon. It's imminent now. So if there's ever a time where we need to come together, it's right now. It's right now. Come on. Just come together. We could do this. I'm telling you we could do this. In fact, we're undefeated. No one has ever beat humanity because we're still here and there's more of us than ever. So we need to come together. I can't say that enough. Please consider it. Please consider it. All right. Let's move on.